as happy as some markets are in this country and excited. Mm -hmm. Disappointing ones, too. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, in this building picked Winnipeg to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah, Winnipeg and I had a a couple of bets about Vancouver making the playoffs. Uh, They did not. So, yeah, a couple of disappointing Canadian teams this year that had higher expectations. Yeah, and we'll get uh, Sean Reynolds on the uh, on the horn now. Let's welcome in Sportsnet's reporter based out of Winnipeg. Sean, how are you? Thanks for doing this. Yeah, I'm great, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. We're just uh, talking about uh, some markets in this country. <laughs> A little disappointed. Would you put Winnipeg at the top of the list? Oh, extremely disappointed. disappointed. And I have to say, you know, not just within the fan base that has been, you know, about this for a long time, waiting for this team to kind of kick in and the real Winnipeg Jets show up and that never happened or this was the real Winnipeg Jets all along. But this is an organization that is typically in the past conducted its business in private. They don't talk a lot in the media about what has, you know, what goes wrong or what's happening with this team or what this team needs. But that changed in the last couple of weeks. There's a lot of players that have voice their disappointment in what has happened. Neil Pionk described their season as being embarrassing yesterday. This has not been the Winnipeg Jets way for a long time. So to hear the players coming out and talking in this fashion, it's kind of eye-opening for us in the media here who are not used to that happening. So Can, can I ahead. just talk yeah, about yeah. Neil Pionk a little Please bit? Do. Just in terms of now, I don't know Neil well, but is is that... Is that because you're dealing with a market there that is a little different than majority NHL markets? It's a big little hockey town. Do you know what I'm saying? Is it? Is it? Is he trying to make sure that he makes it clear to the fan base we are as disappointed as you are? Um, I, I, yes, I think the answer to that is yes, but that hasn't happened here in the past. And I mean, one of the reasons you go back to the big secret that was kept when they were bringing the Winnipeg Jets back for so long, that needed to be kept private. Uh, and it seemed like True North as an organization kind of kept that secretive approach once the team arrived here. Paul Maurice, it seemed to be one of his hallmarks. He never really said bad things about this team, even when there were things that could be said bad. I mean, last season, they lose in the second round to the Montreal Canadiens in what was analytically one of the most lopsided series we've ever seen in the playoffs before. They got destroyed by the Montreal Canadiens, and their response was to talk about being one of the top eight teams in the league, and their goaltender said they weren't just on the cusp of winning a championship, but they were on the cusp of putting together a bunch of championships and get, you know, raising their name to the Montreal Canadiens and the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and teams like that. So this is a team in the past that has always kind of chosen to smell the roses and talk about them in front of the, in front of the, the fan base and in front of the media that changed, like something's different here. It's not because of this market. It's in spite of what's happened in this market that all of a sudden we have a bunch of players coming out and really pointing out what went wrong this year and saying that it was unacceptable. Most of the players who are pointing it out are also pointing the finger at themselves. So it's not one of these things where guys are trying to pass blame, but there's a level of ownership this season that I don't really feel like I've covered before here in this market. And it's interesting to see what happens because in 
my opinion, and Kipper, you'd be a great guy to talk about this because you've been in these you know, locker rooms before, but it really feels to me like the genie is out of the bottle and you can't get it back in. Once you've said those things and once the players have shown that they think things were unacceptable, that the effort was unacceptable, their preparation, uh, those are things that if you're you know, the coaches or the general managers, they're out in the public discourse now. That has to be addressed once those comments are out there. Do you think is it possible that some of the shine was off because of the Kevin Shevel day off stuff earlier in the season where it seemed like some fans weren't as sure about his stewardship of the team? Um, I, I, I don't think so. I'm, no. I'm not for a second. I'm not for a second saying that there weren't some people in this market who weren't happy with how that shook down. We saw enough of it uh, in our Twitter mentions to know that there were some people that didn't like that. But, I mean, we also know that Twitter is by no means an accurate measure of right. these things. So some people out there were upset. I don't look at this, though, as being something that was a turning point for the team. No. Um, this, this happened before Paul Maurice left. It, it's starting to look more and more that whatever the issue is behind the scenes here, that the Jets admittedly were not preparing properly, were not putting in the right, right effort, were not playing the right way. These are looking more and more not as symptoms of Paul Maurice leaving this team, but maybe just maybe the cause of him leaving this team. Well, and by Paul leaving, it was supposed to correct some of that with a different voice. That never happened, Sean. No, not at all. And I mean, that's one of the things that's going to be interesting as the Jets try and figure out what they're going to do in this offseason here. Because like I said, there's so many questions that are coming out about how this team prepares uh, and wasn't prepared and the effort. And those are things that, you know, that no one is pointing fingers squarely at anyone, but we all know that those are issues of leadership, right? And, and if you're a leader in this dressing room, when those kind of claims come forward, it, it falls, you know, uh, under your umbrella. And, and uh, uh, Blake Wheeler admitted as much. So when, when these things are happening, you, you know that there's, expected to be changed but but the review that takes place here is going to be about the players it's going to be about the coaching staff but i would believe it would have to be about kevin shovel day off as well because the, the storyline here for three straight seasons has been that the Jets were just plugging their d line their, their decor two players away from this being a championship contending team well you didn't plug it two years ago. You didn't plug it last year. You plugged it this year, and it didn't work. So that philosophy that they've been leaning on for three years, that wasn't the problem. Now you're trying to figure out the problem, but you can't really – you didn't learn a lot about coaching with this team the way teams like Vancouver did or Edmonton did by adding new coaches with different philosophies because you basically promoted a coach from the same bench that didn't really change up any of the systems, maybe tweak the philosophies slightly, but we didn't see what this team looks like, what this roster looks like with an entirely different voice. And because of that, there's a massive question mark. I say this, I bring this up because Kevin Sheveldayoff at that moment in time had a chance to go in a different direction, to try a different philosophy. He didn't do that. He also had a philosophy that, the last three years he thought was the problem it's turned out it doesn't look like it's the problem so those are a lot of strikes that you have to address and try and figure out if Kevin Sheveldayoff is the guy who knows what's wrong with this team and knows how to fix it going forward 
You know, the Jets feel a lot like the Flames, and I know everyone's going to hold up the Flames for the next 100 years as an example of a team that had talent and had a tough year and feels like they could turn it around really quick. The Flames, you know, they get Daryl Sutter, and all of a sudden they find their stride a little bit. The Jets don't feel like they're that far away because they do have talent on this roster. Are they able to do much with their salary cap situation to add or change the look of this team? Because they have a lot of money tied up in, you know, Blake Wheeler and, and Mark Shifley. Well, and that's just it. You've got Pierre-Luc Dubois, who they want to sign long-term, who's going to need a new deal, and there's going to be money going there. That's probably the money that Andrew Kopp sent out the door. But there was such an assured look at at what was wrong with this team and that bringing in um, Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon was going to fix that problem. They brought in players that had three- and four-year contracts that was going to fit with the nucleus of this team, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, Connor Hellebuck, they all, uh, going forward now, their contracts all expire in two years. So this was a strategic move to say, we've figured this out. Now let's lock in over the next three years. So there isn't a ton of money. If you're going to have, like, you're not buying someone to come in and solve this problem. And gentlemen, you know this as much as I do. The Jets do not land free agents. Their most significant free agent they've ever landed is probably Dmitry Kulikov or Steve Mason. Steve Mason, they had to send Joel Armillo out the window to solve the problem he created the next year. So there's no money to bring someone in, probably not anyone coming if that were the case. So any kind of changes that you're looking at here are going to have to be cutting pieces out of this roster, moving them and trying to get something back in return that gives you a different result. We're talking to Sean Reynolds, who does the uh, NHL hosting and reporting for Sportsnet and the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, Justin, you brought an excellent example of uh, a Calgary scenario forever. You've been waiting for Johnny Goudreau and and Sean Monaghan to lead this team. And the same thing could be said for Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley. Uh, We've seen Calgary go to another level on the backs of, uh, of, of Johnny Hockey, but not Sean Monaghan who really has played himself out of being a, an important asset. Does Winnipeg have to get ahead with Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley so one of them doesn't end up a Sean Monaghan? Yeah, I, I mean, so you take a look at a player like Mark Shifley. The one thing, if you're going to move him, you're going to move a point-per-game player out of your lineup. Now, mm. yes, there needs to be a better defensive effort on his part, but it is hard to score in the NHL, and it's hard to find guys who consistently score the way Mark Shifley does. So if you're going to move him, you better be bringing something else in. Um, but, I mean, the, the question comes to if these, if these questions keep popping up and these suggestions keep popping up by the players that, you know, there's not an effort, there's not enough effort, there's not enough preparation, those are responsibilities that fall on, on the leadership group in this organization. So if the Jets decide that, um, that, that, that they need to move on from that leadership group or they need to change the culture, um, I mean, I think that starts with the guy wearing the C. He'd be the first person that you'd have to look at. And I think, you know, he, he said as much recently when he was asked about it. He was asked about the culture. He was asked about the culture because his players had addressed the culture and said it's never too too early to start working on your culture, which is essentially an admission that the culture needs to be worked on. And he raised his hand and said, listen, if there's culture issues, that's on me. Um, he's been the guy who's been the captain for a number of years. 
so, I mean, this is, this is what happens with great power comes with great responsibility. The old Spider-Man saying, um, when you're wearing the C, you wear a lot of the issues on a team. And if it's a leadership thing or if it's a culture thing, Blake Wheeler wears it. You know, and just feels like, right, he has a no-move clause. He's going to be a part of whatever comes next here. How how does the trade deadline look in retrospect and the idea that the Jets might be able to kind of halfway it and get themselves in? Well, it, 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 numbers suggested it was a bad idea. At that time, they had a 5% chance of making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So if you were running a business and you were making business decisions based on a 5% chance that something would pay off, and it did, if it did, it would be a decent payoff. But if it didn't, you'd lose out on a bunch of assets. You wouldn't stay in business very long if you kept making decisions like that. Right. But the Jets did. They believed in it. But you bring up that Calgary, you bring up that Calgary uh, uh, comparison, and I hear it here in this market a lot. The one thing people don't talk about is how many coaches did Calgary go to before they found the right guy to motivate them and get the results that we are seeing from them right now? Well, I feel like we saw the same thing with them at the trade deadline where the team that they touted was the 2019 St. Louis Blues. Because that team was last place in New Year's and made a miracle run and went to the playoffs uh, and won the, won the Stanley Cup that year. Well, my response to that is with the Calgary Flames, with the St. Louis Blues, if you're comparing yourself to those teams, you're only comparing, comparing yourself to teams that have pulled off something very few teams I've ever pulled off into the history of the NHL. I don't think it's a good example to follow those teams. They did something special. But if every team that misses the playoffs says we could be next year's Calgary Flames, it sounds like a recipe to do nothing. And I wonder how often if we take the numbers for the 16 teams that miss the playoffs and they do nothing, I wonder how often that's going to work out like it did for the Calgary Flames. So, Sean, what is the, the first shoe to drop between now and, uh, I don't know, summer? Uh, is it player personnel? Is it finding a new coach? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I, I would throw another in there. I mean, if, if, if Kevin Shebel-Bayoff uh, is, is looked at as having had the wrong philosophy at this time and already had an opportunity to try a new coach and that didn't work out, I mean, the decision has to be made whether or not he's the guy that you want hiring the new coach. Uh, I mean, the one thing about this organization, I've said this on your show before this, um, th- this group, including Mark Chipman, including Kevin Shevoldayoff, had a real strong belief in this core. So with the talk of the, the Calgary Flames out there and, and holding fast and holding firm, I mean, I'm not ruling out the possibility that they're interested in doing the same thing, the Jets. Mm. Um, as far as Dave Lowry goes, I think there's a lot of battles that he tried to fight for this team that didn't necessarily work out. Maybe it was never going to work out, though, and maybe these are a lot of the battles that, that Paul Maurice left because he didn't think he could fight them anymore. Um, I think if you're going to get a new coach, one of the things you have to do is have an acknowledgement from management that you've got management's back to do whatever it takes, whatever you feel is necessary to get the results that you are looking for. Um, and I'll say this. I, I, I always bring up this example. I was covering the St. Louis Blues in the 2019 Stanley Cup playoff, uh, and Ryan O'Reilly, who won playoff MVP that year in the second round, was dropped to the fourth line because he was 
um, because he wasn't giving enough effort. And I talked to Craig Derube about it. His response was, look, he's either going to go to the fourth line and play well and play his way back up the lineup, which means I win, or he's going to go to the fourth line and not give the effort like he's been doing, and he'll stay out of my hair on the fourth line, which I'll win. And it just blew my mind because covering this Winnipeg Jets team, I could never see that tax being taken with Blake Wheeler or Mark Scheifele. Those players would never be benched for yeah. lack of effort or for, for playing the game the wrong way. And uh, you, you do get the sense there's been a feeling over the years um, that, uh, you know, there's been, there's been winners and losers in this roster, players who are somewhat untouchable, players who felt that they couldn't really play their way to where they wanted to be. That's a culture that would need to change. But I guess what I would say is, yeah, maybe a coach can do that, but a coach has to feel that he's got the backing of his organization to do what he feels is necessary. So I feel that that, that shift in, in philosophy doesn't just come from the, the new coach. It, it has to come from management as well. At uh, the, the inmates running the asylum, we've seen that at times uh, in Toronto, uh, I'll admit it. So it's a familiar sort of idea. Uh, last one for me, just on the the playoff race in the West, you know, we don't get to see as much of it. Nashville and Dallas seem like they're going to outlast the Vegas Golden Knights. What are your thoughts? Are you shocked to see those two teams hold off Vegas? Um, I saw Vegas come in later in the year and play Winnipeg twice, and they looked like a little bit of a, a, of a broken team to me. Now, there was a lot of injuries involved in that, but, um, uh, like, listen, if you're telling me this at the beginning of the year, yeah, I'd be surprised. I didn't have Nashville being a playoff team. I did have um, uh, Vegas being a higher playoff team. But watching throughout the season, if you would have told me about the last couple of months, I had felt a long time ago, at least six weeks ago, that Vegas was out of this. Nashville seems to have the buy-in um, that a lot of teams are looking for. You saw that game they played against Calgary last night. What a phenomenal hockey game that was. What a great brand of hockey both those teams were playing. Uh, the Dallas Stars are a little bit of an enigma to me. They've got they've got two, uh, you know, they play Arizona and Anaheim down the stretch here. So who knows? Maybe they'll win both those games. Maybe they'll jump up and they'll play Calgary, or they're going to play Colorado. Um, they're the team that knocked off Colorado two years ago. To me, they've looked tired. I've been watching a lot of their games, and they all even the ones they win and have won against teams like San Jose and Seattle and Anaheim. They've all been white-knuckle holding on for their lives with a one-goal lead right down to the end. They look like a team that's tired to me, but I'll say this. This Dallas Stars team is not the kind of team you would want to play in the playoffs. I'm not saying they'll knock off either of those two teams, but they have the capability of being dangerous, have done so before, went to the Stanley Cup Finals two years ago when everyone thought that they weren't going to make any noise at all. Um, They look tired to me, but they could also be a sleeping giant. And uh, so that's a team you don't want waking up if you are either the Colorado Avalanche or the Calgary Flames. Hey, Sean, I hope the Winnipeg Jets uh, bounce right back next year as well as you did on your dropped call about uh, two minutes ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, buddy. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for doing time, this guys. and thanks for reaching back out. Uh, really appreciate your time. Sean Reynolds. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Yeah. I, uh, I loved Sean's story uh, about Craig Berube. And Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, me too. I forgot and, about that. You know, if we 
go to a Toronto Maple Leaf comparable, would the closest thing we've experienced this year would have been uh, Willie Nylander. Yeah, when, but Willie's always the guy, right? Like, O'Reilly was the captain. Yeah, I know. And not fourth line. No. Right? Yeah, no kidding. So that is, you know, it's a profound difference. And I, I would say he's making a really good point about the Jets that Wheeler and Shifley feel like they kind of run the team a, a little bit the way you feel like Why do you think Durant and Kyrie are trying to you know, run the Nets or whatever. Patrick Laine is not a Winnipeg Jets, and that's a main reason why. They didn't, they didn't want him. Well, it's just, uh, I think they just, they didn't know how to handle them. Mm-hmm. They just, it was, they were, they had, they were, they had a fixed mindset of, of Patrick Liney. Mm-hmm. And that was that, you know, you're going to come in, you're going to earn your stripes here. You're going to, going to hang out together. Patrick Liney is not a hangout guy. No, he is Patrick Liney. He is, you guys go for, on an off day, you, you go to the, uh, the restaurant and have the liquid lunch. Mm-hmm. That's not me. I'm going to my room. I'm going to play video going games. Going to a sauna. <laughs> yeah, no. Video games. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it could be perceived that you're, you're not trying to be one of us. And it's like, no, not everybody is right one of us and it's okay you are one of us because you're not one of us that makes me feel like you're talking about the jets like they're 1980 and the rest of the league is 20 years ahead because it used to be more like i think there was a little bit of that old school mentality and in hindsight uh it, it it didn't turn out very well for anybody no yeah it's too bad it's too bad when it feels like the the players have a bit too much ownership before their success. If you win a few championships, I think you can say to the next guys who come in, it's our way or the highway. If you're a team that makes the playoffs intermittently and gets eliminated after, you know, maybe winning a round, it's, yeah. Okay, let's open your ideas. Let's let's follow up a little bit on the Western Conference because we're going to go to an NHLPA survey, right, Sammy, that came out today? Yeah, and I... Tons. Of, this is one of my favorite days of the year when that comes out. Okay. There's tons of interesting, but Vegas Just, we should probably talk about. Yeah, definitely. Last night, really good hockey game. Which one? Vegas. Yeah. Dallas. Nashville, Calgary was great. Yeah, yes. it was good too. Yes, I know. So um, what is the percentage now? And the only way Vegas, the reason why Vegas is still alive is because they earned a point last night in overtime. Mm-hmm. But they need to win two more games in regulation. If I'm not mistaken, it's Chicago and St. Louis. On a back-to-back? On a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. And Dallas has to lose both their games in regulation as well. To Anaheim and Arizona. That's who they have. So my question to you is, as you went last night down the stretch, why didn't... DeBoer pull his goalie tied. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, I, that, sorry. I don't know. That's because it's, it's so. Okay. Okay. Again, okay. It's not okay. hockey. It's, no, okay. No, 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 no. Keeper's for, right. For, for the chance to stay alive. Yeah. Because you, you earned a point to stay alive, but tell me what those odds are of winning both in regulation and Dallas losing both in regulation. 2.9%. So you, didn't take a chance, and I'm going to play analytics here, and Whoa, no, no you're, numbers. You're bang on. No, no numbers, but what are the odds 
Scoring an empty netter. Of scoring an empty netter. Is it 50-50? Not even close. No, but even if it's 30%, right? A power play is 20%. So if it's 20 to 25 or whatever it is. And and much better. Much score, better. Of getting a point there than much better and of, of keeping scoring, Dallas from getting a point. Your odds are much better of scoring with an extra attacker than they are than your stinking two percent now. Yeah. Yeah. The they get an empty netter last night. The points are 92-94 instead of 95-91. Yeah, they're no, they're cooked. They're cooked. He should have done it. He should have done it. And I mean, my goodness, this Vegas team. I mean, I, I've been watching them lately because this is interesting. You know, I know he's been through a lot and he's been traded and he had surgery. But let me just say, Jack Eichel's not not been very good. I know he's got the most goals on the team since he's got there, but he's not been very good, fellas. Like he's a defensive struggle fest. Efforts a question mark for me. I understand. There's a lot more going on there, and I'm not blaming him entirely. But yeah, it's it, uh, it was hey, they were the aggressor right out of the gate when Eichel got first chopped or you know mentioned uh, them in the Rangers. And hey, listen, in a year or two, we could be talking something much different. That's how yeah, that's how great he is. That's player. how the that's where the talent level is. Yeah, but today. You can look back and outside of the injuries, there's a lot of second-guessing going on. I mean, a few years ago, I'd have said he is a top five player in the league. And now I I just about said he's a top 10 center in the league. You know, like the, the sort of range we're going is changing a little bit for me in, in where he fits in. So. Wow. There's still a lot of growth for him, I think. Uh, for sure there is. Off the ice. Vegas might be might have the best... Sorry, off the ice? Well, just still to carry yourself as a pro. Yeah. The, the skill's the one thing. Yeah. But it's never been about his skill. Yeah. We know it's there. We know it's among the best in, in the world. But it's just everything else, the way you can conduct yourself, the way you mm-hmm. carry yourself, you the way that uh, you prepare and, and all that and, stuff. And show up, yeah. right? And show up when you're supposed to show up. For sure. All right. Sammy. Yes. NHLPA survey came out today. Survey says. You want to you lead this thing? They don't watch enough hockey. Yeah. Let me just make my point about the players. Uh, every time I see someone talk about, like, the NHL writers vote on something, they say, I, I care what the players think. The players play 82 games a year. They do not have time to watch the NHL. You know, a lot, they, they get to... They get a good viewing at those guys that they play on those nights. But other nights, they're traveling. On nights, they're not traveling or playing. They often want to stay away from hockey. These guys don't watch a ton of the NHL. So let me just get that out of the way, because sometimes I, I see these polls, and I'm like, what? Anyway. Okay. So, but you want to start in you, you, We got to like, – I haven't – I have not gone through this. You haven't looked at it. I, I, I brief, briefly looked at it, but I can't even definitively tell you what the any of the questions yeah, yeah. were. So, right. But you're, you're speaking of as if they're voting for an MVP, which they're not. Right. No, but sometimes they do have stuff where it'll be like, oh, Jonathan Huberdeau says Austin Matthews should, you know, win the Hart Trophy. It's like, well, how many games did Huberdeau get to watch Roman Yossi play? You know, like I'm just saying they don't get to watch the way that... Yeah, that's fair. I mean, but it's kind of a, a loose kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of throw away isn't it it is is. you're right it doesn't okay so sammy Mm -hmm. where do you want to begin with this nhlpa uh players survey poll i think maybe the goalie is a good place to start because uh if you need to win one game uh who is the goalie you would want on your team and And this is a great place to defend my point anyway 
37.4% of players said Andre Vasilevsky, who, in case you haven't uh, read anything, is the Leafs' first-round opponent in the East Coast. Okay, <laughs> no real surprise there. No. But the next answer is Carey Price at 13.9, down to Marc-Andre Fleury at 6.7, and John Gibson at 3.5 is the top five. So Top four, sorry. The reason I'm making that point is like legacy lives on with the players and reputation. This is beyond watching. Yeah, this is in a perfect world if okay everybody was healthy. I think that's the way people would still pick Carey Price second. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. This yeah. isn't like Carey's got a bad knee and his so, career could be over. I mean, picking. it's a 21-22 poll of who you would like on your team to win one game. I don't want to carry price. Have you been paying attention? No, 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 no. <laughs> like, no, I don't take it that way. I take it as if, right. if if I still had to pick one guy and I knew he was healthy and feeling good, right. then it's Vasilevsky and, and Carey Price and, and everybody else underneath. Uh, and I should say the fought for the, the tied at 3.1%, Markstrom, Jonathan Quick, and UC Soros. And no one wants the guy with the 930 save percentage who's going to win the Vesna Trophy and Very Shisterkin. weird. Very weird. Okay. Um, the next one is very interesting. If you need to win one game, who is the skater you would want on your team? Connor McDavid led the way at 42.4% of players would want him was the first overall pick for if you needed to win one game. The next pick is Sidney Crosby at 17.3. Victor Hedman at 6.7%. Uh, Sasha Barkov at 3.5 and Nathan McKinnon at 3.3. Nowhere to be found is the 60 goal scorer who plays for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let me ask you, hold on. The, the first two, McDavid and Crosby, one game tonight, starting center. Who you got, Kipper? I'll take Crosby. Yeah, me too. Me too. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. All day long. Yeah. All Sit, day long. Still that guy, man. Still that guy. Competitive and he's won and he's, you know, he's still going to score when you need him to. He's, He's one. That's all you Defense. need to say. Face-off. He's one. Yeah. And but, I mean, the guy who's won 42%. McDavid's won got two hearts and three art Rosses. I, I don't know. I've lost count. And he's, he's, got, a, he's got a ton of the, the, the individual. And he's worn the face of the NHL. I can see the players easily naming him. But I think what's happened over the last couple of seasons now is that great individual skill but i ain't giving you the respect of 87 in pittsburgh Mm -hmm. it is night and day for these players voting they see it yeah they see you're great as an individual where it's not all about just being the best talented individual guy it's You've won, yeah. like you just said. It and is, that's that's why I think Austin's not on this list. Well, but, although it is. Barkov uh, is, and they've done and nothing. Barkov. Yeah, Connor uh, hasn't won anything. No, I, I know. But, but he's also, he's also uh, been anointed uh, the face of the NHL for yeah, and he's five or six years. And he's Th- there is some superstars here who need to break through for the NHL, like... McKinnon has uh, that Colorado team has run up against it and fallen short yeah. a few times. Florida's fallen short with Huberto and Barkov. Toronto, uh, I mean the Oilers. There's yeah. some questions for yeah. some superstars here. Someone's got to get her done. Yeah, and and Matthews would be of right course. at the top of the list, and, and Marner with hey talented guy, great job with the sixty goals. Do you make people around you better like Sid has the last fifteen years? Yeah, a few people on earth do. 
my estimation. That's the next step. So how about okay? There's there's other. I'll go to this one. Um, which player do you least enjoy playing against? but would like to have them on your team. Who do you think number one is, Kipper, on that one? Yeah, that's that little pesty guy in Boston. Number one, Brad Marchand at 26.4%. And then the next one is Connor McDavid at 183 Yeah, he's not fun to play. For very different reasons. <laughs> yeah. And then you got Tom Wilson at 107 Victor Hedman at 6.9, and then Nathan McKinnon at 5.3. Surprise so. Hedman's up there. You know, like, it's not like he McKinnon, crushes eh? guys or anything or blows around them. Yeah, but McKin- I think McKinnon kind of has brought a little bit of that McKinnon's uh, a, side to him out this year. Oh, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a, I'm trying to think of swears you can say on radio. I just, uh, sometimes <laughs> it's, it, it gets ahead of himself too. McKinnon. Yes. I, I think it, like he gets a little squirrely. Detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. Too, Love that too many, competitiveness. Uh, like, yeah. It's the eyes rolling back. Like, Slot machine. Go, 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 go. Okay, I want to get this one in. I, I want to ask you if you can guess the top five. Where is the best NHL road city to spend an off day? Any chance you got the top yeah, five? Yeah, it's where they uh, probably will have the NHL All-Star game every year now. Number one, correct, Las Vegas. Vegas. Number two? I was just looking at best ice. I was like, Edmonton. Uh, um, the home of the China Club. Correct. <laughs> New was, York yeah, City. Yeah, yeah, to me, you're right. if you're not putting Manhattan ahead of Vegas, number, number something's three? wrong with you. Uh, number three, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I guys know. would sneak off to Vail for skiing. No. Uh, Maybe Colorado? No. Fort, Na- La- Fort Lauderdale? Fort Lauderdale. Oh, okay. Nashville yep. got some love, right? And LA. Beach. And LA. Yep. The beach. Okay. And this is this one made me laugh. Good spots. Which NHL player could make it in other sports? Joe Pavelski, golf. It's 11 Anders players Lee, golf. Football. <laughs> Zidane Chara, basketball for some reason. And then golf, 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 golf. Yeah. Shocker. Random guy golf, random guy yeah. golf. Just the I, I don't, I don't dudes think, on our I don't think they're <laughs> the going to substitute the writers for the players on voting major awards. <laughs> no, I don't think that's at a risk <laughs> of happening anytime soon. Speaking of golf, um, you know, there's some good players there on the on the NHL list. Um, Kipper, you're a pretty good player. I get to see you tomorrow. We don't oh, have a show tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Are, are we preempted again tomorrow? <sighs> Those Jays. Okay. Are those Jays forcing us to go golf tomorrow? Yeah, I know, I know. And had the Raptors uh, lost, it'd be us. But you get the basketball show because yeah. the Raptors are in it. Yeah. Love it. I mean, okay. listen, we and, love doing and, the show. But uh, that that game's tomorrow night. Yeah, I am so excited for that. Oh, wow. This is a wrong sport, time. Derek. Wrong sport. <laughs> we're, we're talking uh, You need the, the tinkle music from the Masters. I am so excited <laughs> okay. for that so basketball So what's game. going on with uh, uh, Doc Rivers <laughs> nice. now? Uh, now I feel really weird talking about Doc Rivers with this music, but I'll try to do it. A little cross-board here. So, he's he's losing his mind. He got asked today about blowing a bunch of 3-1 series leads, and then he went into this, like, minute-long diatribe about how... Yeah, he basically buried so his this, it, These guys suck, and these guys suck. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Nurse said... It's a miracle said, I had him up 3-1 to begin with. It's not me, it's them. <laughs> yeah. You know what Nick Nurse said? We got nothing to lose. We got nothing to lose. All right, baby. We're going to take a break tomorrow, but on Friday, we're giving you a chance to win Maple Leaf tickets. How cool is that? All right, our thanks to Hall of Famer Adam Oates, Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, and always the pleasant Stellectricity, Gord Stellick. Fantastic show. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we're back on Friday to tee up round one.